This is Sheldon Primus, the host of the Safety Consultant Podcast. During this time, we've all been tightening our belts because of COVID-19. I have been as well. Recently, I've found cost-effective alternatives to some of the services and programs that I was using, such as email marketing, hosting services, and even one of my favorites, Teachable. Visit SheldonPrimus.com backslash resources for special offers to help you reduce your business overhead. If you're hosting a podcast or want to host a podcast, then visit SheldonPrimus.com backslash hosting for a knockout deal. Don't give up on your dream. Get smarter on the back end of your business. This episode is powered by Safety FM. Welcome to another episode of the Safety Consultant Podcast. This is the podcast where I teach you the business of being a safety consultant. This week we talked to Jennifer Wenzel. She is the founder of Vocation Creation. So in Vocation Creation, Jennifer's goal is to help people who want to do something that they love every day in their business. So what she does is she teaches them how to take that desire and turn it into something that's tested and practical for them to do as a job, as their new vocation. So she's teaching entrepreneurs, or budding entrepreneurs, how to be their own boss. So I got a hold of her and uh, we were talking about pretty much a, a few things. I, I am going to be on her podcast and she's on my podcast So you get to hear her first, and then you'll hear me on her podcast if you listen to that one, which I hope you will. And you're going to look up Vocation Creation when she releases her podcast. I'll be one one of those guests. So we kind of talked about what her first work was, and she used to do instructional designing. And uh, some of you that know me already from listening to our 80-something episodes right now know that I am a subject matter expert uh, for general industry and construction topics. And I've worked with several, several, several of the big-name companies that do online vocational training for the uh, environmental health and safety field. So we talked about that. We also talked a little bit about uh, some of the things that you can make yourself uh, more valuable as an SME. And then she informed me that I'm actually doing both. I'm doing SME work and I'm doing uh, instructional design. So it was a very good eye-opening conversation. And she also uh, told me a little bit about, uh, for me, I just wanted to know, you know, am I delivering things correctly the way I should be? So we we even talked about those things, about how do you know that you are creating a course and the course meets all the objectives that you need to ensure that the learner is getting what they need. So it was a wonderful, wonderful conversation. I look forward to uh, hearing what everyone thinks after this one. So uh, we will talk to Jennifer after this word from our sponsor. Do you want to be a safety consultant? 
Listen to Dr. J. Allen of Safety FM give his experience after taking the Safety Consultant Blueprint course. I have actually done research on different consultants and looked at different consulting courses and so on. There is a pretty fancy, very expensive consulting course that is out there. I have actually purchased the consulting course, was interested in it. It has good information. Don't get me wrong. But you have a consulting course that really drives people onto focusing on safety and how to become a safety consultant. I will tell you on your particular course, there was better information in that particular regards than the other consulting course that was more of a generalist form. But I figured I felt like I got more information out of yours on you giving people direct path on what to do step by step. But I really think that you have a genuine good product there that can really assist people if they're interested in becoming a safety consultant. Register for the Safety Consultant Blueprint at www.safetyconsultantblueprint.com. Enter code PODCAST for a special discount. I'm Jennifer Wenzel. I live in St. Cloud, Minnesota, and I've been working in instructional design and development for about... Oh, now I have to think. I'm getting old. (laughs) I guess it's been about 20 years now. Uh, From the very beginnings when I started learning how to develop training in a health promotion organization with a bunch of people who worked in local government doing health training for schools and community groups and businesses. And I started as sort of a high-level administrative assistant, helping do some desktop publishing and graphic design for their training manuals. And eight years later, I was uh, actually a licensed certified instructional designer and e-learning developer and worked largely in healthcare and in the financial services industry. Very cool. And that sounds like uh, the training for that took forever. <laughs> In my mind, it sounds like it. <laughs> it was more my fault than anything else. I <laughs> I, I actually was working as, as a training developer for our local county government and couldn't really get the job promotion until I finished my bachelor degree. So oh. it took me to 38 years old before I finally got my degree. And as soon as I got that four-year degree under my belt, I went from a principal office specialist to an e-learning designer and developer in title as well as in duties. Wow. Well, congrats first and foremost, because I know that's always hard to to do it as a, you know, going back as a working adult. So that's always something that you've got to make sure that uh, you congratulate because truly now you tell the kids, yeah, go right after high school and it's be easier. And then somehow life happens and you can't go right after high school. And now when you go back, because I did the same route, I got my uh, my bachelor's while I was going back and then my master's as well later on. But it, it is truly, truly tough. So congrats on that. Thank you. It's funny that you mentioned the master's later on, because after I got my bachelor's degree, I realized I finally really, for the first time in my life, liked going to school. So I immediately started on my master's degree upon graduating. But then I only ended up getting uh, six graduate credits or six classes out of my 10. So I never actually got my degree, but I did get two graduate certificates. So that was really all I needed. Instructional design and development um, technologies was my first certificate. And then agile project management and agile project development was my second certificate. So it was it was really fun learning, actually. Yeah. And 
truly, I guess the catalyst to this was just trying to um, get further in the company. It was. It was to get both further in the company and just to get better at my own skills, especially with agile design and development. The instructional design world is really embracing agile right now um, and human centered design and they go together so well. So Mm -hmm. it was something that I wanted to improve my own knowledge and uh, skills in. So it was really, it was really just a way to make myself better at my own job too. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Now, along the way, were they like, um, and even, even for the schooling side, but uh, but when you first started working as well, what were some of the things that you wish you knew? Uh, like when you first got started that you know now that would have been so much easier to, to understand in this in this field because it's so technical, you know? I, I immediately think of, uh, and like literally I'm seeing this list just running through my head like <laughs> credits at the end of a movie on Fast yeah. Forward, just <laughs> all these things that you really learn through unfortunate experience. You learn the hard way a lot as in any job on the face of the earth, you don't really know what you're going to run into until you do. But I wish I had known two things in particular. Ooh, we got the it down first. to two. Yeah, all right. yeah. <laughs> I can I can cluster this massive, huge <laughs> list of things into like two main areas, and they they kind of fall into the first one being I wish that I had known the essential need of pre-learning assessments and post-learning assessments because still to this day after so many years in the industry and working at several extremely competent firms that know learning and development even now we don't give enough attention to gauging where the learners are before we train or instruct and then after they're done we just focus on the training itself and without really measuring it, Mm -hmm. without measuring the change from start to finish, we don't know if we're doing a good job or not. We can say, you know, we we put out a a little uh, survey at the end. How did you like this training? Oh, it was great. I wasn't bored. I didn't fall asleep. But we don't know (laughs) they learn anything. (laughs) Yeah. So, So that I wish that I had known more about and implemented more right from the start of my career. And I'm, like I said, I'm still struggling with that to this day because we just don't build a lot of time and resources in for the measurement part. Mm-hmm. And then part two, project management skills. I am a big picture thinker. I have an idea person. I love brainstorming. And I am definitely not the person who plans out the uh, the steps of the project from A to Z and remembers every little tiny detail. <laughs> and that's something that I've really had to struggle with because so often in instructional design, we are one-person teams. We do it all from start to finish. We interview the subject matter experts. We are the subject matter experts. We write the training. We write the assessments. We write the questions. We uh, put out the e-learning, you know, create the actual storyboards and build it in the software and record the voiceover and release it. You guys record the voiceovers? Questions. What was that? You guys record the voiceovers? Uh, for e-learning, yeah. For online training, that's one of the reasons that I actually uh, got into e-learning design and development is because I was a voiceover 
actor first because I had been in radio about 25 years ago. So, All right, well, hold on. I'm putting a pin on that. We're going to come back to that one. Go ahead. (laughs) So yeah, so many times it's one, maybe two people creating training um, or you know, doing the instructional design for adult learners, for corporations, or you know, for for as a freelancer. But you, whether you're working on a team of one or a team of twenty, um, you need project management skills, and you need to map out the process and know your deadlines, and know how to work backwards from those deadlines, mm-hmm. and know how to come up with the project deliverables and every piece and part of that project deliverable if you really want to be successful, especially the more people that get involved. Um, And that's still something that's not a strong point. I wish I'd focused on that a lot more earlier in my career and built it up a little bit. Yeah, Uh, I don't care if it's never going to be an innate skill of mine, but I do care that I don't let things go through the cracks or forget that a certain piece of the whole puzzle needs to be put together. Mm-hmm. Um, so fortunately, I, I am very lucky that I've gotten to rely on quite a few people who have very strong management skills and they help me fill that gap. So I'm Excellent. always glad for that. Well, good. Well, before I go too far off my thought and forget it all together, because I'm, I'm not even uh, project managing this this actual <laughs> interview. I don't write things down. <laughs> I should be doing that, man. Maybe I'm learning from your point B. <laughs> but uh, I've done a lot of uh, SME work in the past and I've uh, I've got a bunch of, of companies that I've worked with and some are asking me to do reviews meaning here's the course is it still current uh, are these OSHA standards still good and I'll do those for a certain amount of price and, and usually I get that in bulk and I just do a whole bunch of them for them then I have others that say, hey, hey, Sheldon, we need this topic. Can you write this topic for us? And uh, they tell me I have to write uh, a certain amount of word count and I have to break it into modules. Uh, Then I'll also have to do the uh, objectives for each one. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then, let's see, I'll do five questions at each end of each module. And then I'll have to do a final exam as well. Uh, so usually that's how I'm creating the courses, whatever people give me projects to actually write something for them. And then on the other side, and and truly when I'm doing those in, in modules, um, I have to think of uh, the course and what, what it's going to look like towards the end so I can add that into the objectives. And then also um, I have to incorporate uh, just everyone's learning along the way because I may have different different levels of people that are coming on. So then the last section that people have me do is sometimes storyboarding. Um, and that, that has been more recent. There's a company that I'm working with currently and they're transitioning from uh, UK to uh, UK and Australia to the US. And they're bringing out the storyboard model and I have to create things like that. And that's been unique. Uh, So I'm learning a lot about this. Am I still an SME or am I actually instructional designing at this point? That's a really interesting question. You are definitely a both. (laughs) You are an (laughs) instructional designer and SME for sure. Because you're not just... I'd say when you review the existing training for accuracy and completeness, you're definitely working more in the SME capacity. 
But when you're writing from scratch, you are combining both because you're taking the knowledge from your head and you are crafting it and molding it and shaping it to meet your client and their learners needs. So you're definitely working in both capacities there, I'd say. Okay. And um, are you like, let's say someone wants to do that and, and uh, hold on, hold on. I almost forgot. Sure. See, I, I told you I was going to uh, like actually do the pin on the thought of the uh, going back and actually talking to you a little bit about when you do the voiceover work. So when you're doing the voiceover work, you literally you get this thing, you put in a storyboard and then for every slide, you're doing the voice behind uh, the learning for that slide. Yeah. And of course, that would be for online learning or um, sort of what we call in the industry, of course, asynchronous learning mm-hmm. versus um, live one on one training, such as a in-person classroom training or workshop or even a live, a live webinar, webinar where people yeah. are attending live um, because they're really different when it comes to designing the instruction for online asynchronous learning like e-learning versus synchronous learning where you're teaching at the same time that people are learning, whether it's virtual, digital, or in-person. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely a different process. So the voiceover work really comes in the e-learning um, asynchronous type where we pre-record it and then people watch it at their leisure, whether they're just watching a video and absorbing it or whether they're actually doing an interactive e-learning module where they click and match and drag and drop and make choices, you know, A through D. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the kind of work that I do the voiceover work for is, is the asynchronous type training. All right. Tell me about the early voiceover stuff. How'd you get into that? <laughs> well, I was going to school for journalism. Mm-hmm. This was 1990, my first year of college. I was a journalism hey, that would have been my first year. Ah, oh, cool. We're the same age. Nice. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> so, so class of 89. That means so, you're, yeah. you're including me in that. I, 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 I know am, what you, I see I what am. you're throwing down there. <laughs> so sorry. We're young. We're, we're still doing good. Forever young. <laughs> So, yeah, 1990, journalism, of course, I had no idea, as most people didn't, about the online revolution coming a decade or so down the road. But um, I just wasn't really as inspired by journalism as I thought after my first year. Mm -hmm. And I had always been a writer through my youth and high school and um, won some awards nationally for newspaper copywriting. And so that was just what I thought I'd do. But I was just bemoaning my fate with one of my friends the summer after my first year of college. And I'm like, I don't want to be a journalist. I don't want to write for a living. What should I do? And my friend said, well, you've got a great voice. I mean, it's a weird voice, but it's a good voice. Maybe you should get into radio. And I'm like, hmm, all right. So I went to school for radio for a year and ended up doing radio for five or six years and have always been super technical. Mm -hmm. I was really lucky to grow up with a Macintosh. My dad got our family a Mac computer in 84, like one of the first ones. And I was online in 1993 when I started my radio career and I was on the web in 95, like actually building websites by the time 98 rolled around. So when the voiceover marketplaces started around 2003-ish, I was right there doing voiceover work. And um, who was your client? It was a skill of mine, just kind of a talent that I didn't want to let drop. Who were your clients back then? What, what, not like of names, but the type of industry, unless you want to give names, but the type of industry that oh. I use for that. Yeah, very, very, very varied, <laughs> very varied in, industry. Um, I worked in 
Well, that's the kind of funny thing. Literally, that's how I learned about e-learning in the first place is because I was doing online voiceover work for people who needed them for corporate e-learning projects. And I had never heard of e-learning before. I mean, everyone knows that you go to a class and there's a teacher that stands up and talks to you or you go to a corporate training and there's a trainer that stands up and talks to you. But I had never encountered e-learning at that point in my life. And I was like, oh, that's cool. (laughs) So I would do a lot of like uh, e-learning scripts and web computer, web commercials, you know, web-based commercials for for companies that just had a brand new website back in the early 2000s and needed a voice for it. Do you remember how in the old days you'd go to a website and automatically it would start talking to you? (laughs) Yes. After you had to listen to that stupid screeching and get on, uh, you know, (laughs) the AOL. You could stop the sound. You couldn't turn the the sound down. We didn't have like a little, you know, which tab is playing the sound icon back in those days. You're just like, ah! (laughs) You're destined to date me. Yeah, 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 I am the, I am now old man in the room. Come on. <laughs> I still remember we when totally websites know. were like $100 we're totally. for a website, and you're like, I ain't buying that. <laughs> $100. Totally. totally. <laughs> now I get up to 10 <laughs> So, So those were the kind of things that I record. I did do some online advertising. I never really did any like broadcast ads or anything, but I was the voice for the in. What, what do they call it? The institutional arm of Tony's Pizza and their associated products for a while, so that when I, when Ooh. everybody who worked in like school cafeterias, who was a, maybe a school cafeteria buyer, would go to the brand's website, it was my voice that was talking about the various institutional food options that they oh, could choose that's from. That's awesome. <laughs> that's great. That's cool. Oh, and my biggest project was I did an online drug pronunciation encyclopedia it was like 1423 drug names and i had to recite each and every one of them it was tabers i think is the brand name the tabers drug encyclopedia and if a medical professional needed to know how to say the drug they'd just click the little thing it would be my voice going hydroxazine (laughs) or whatever that's gotta be painful Oh, it was awful. So, yeah. So that's that's the kind of stuff I was doing. It was so glamorous. Let me tell you. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, at least you're not like 800 number and having to do that kind of oh, voiceover. I that too. If, yeah. To reach James in the marketing department, press one. To reach Jill in the advertising department, press two. Oh, yeah. There you go. All right. Hold on. I might have to get this so I can uh, use that. Ooh, I, I, I am looking for a disclaimer for my show and then also... Um, you know, the, the ones where you, you say um, the copyright information online, mm-hmm. you know, none of this mm-hmm. could be broadcast without the, the express written consent of Sheldon. And I'm looking for that. I mean, you could be that voice. Yeah, send me the script. I'll, I'll say it for you. That is awesome. <laughs> it's, it's funny because I actually got out of voiceovers after about four or five years of doing it because it was really boring work. You sit yeah. by yourself with your computer screen you record the the thing you send it off you get a paycheck of however small or large it might be but you never actually speak to a human being and as you can tell i really like speaking to human beings yeah yeah so (laughs) that was just it was like pulling teeth for me to get me in front of the mic after the first few years so i did not do it anymore after that oh wow well great that's awesome jennifer i just wanted to really uh 
when I when you said it, I was like, oh, I gotta find out about this one. <laughs> yeah, I, it's still fun to do as a very part-time thing, and of course, when I'm recording any anything for e-learning, that's a whole different thing. It's it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. I'm I'm glad I'm still doing it, and yeah. podcasting too. Podcasting's great as well. Yeah. And, uh, so, have you officially launched yet, or are you still like like getting all your shows and then gonna launch that? Yeah, I'm putting together, I think, five or six shows, and then I'll launch with the five or six that I have, and then go weekly after that. Oh, awesome. So that's what I, I did. wait. No, yeah, good choice. I think I've read that that's a really good um, number that people can listen to and decide if they like it, and then they'll subscribe, versus having to wait for your next however many weeks before the next one comes out. Yeah, I read a podcasting book by uh, John Lee Dumas, and he mm-hmm. suggested doing that, and I was like, all right, I'll do that, and uh, true when I met Jay Allen of Safety FM before he got me on the network he was like well you gotta wait until you get your 10 and then um, I'll get you on the network and at that time I just really released it like a couple of weeks before but I already released like seven of them at one time so I was really right there at my 10 anyway because I guess the idea is if someone hears you they like you they could already subscribe and have a few other things to catch up on so is that what you're thinking too? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Plus, I've gotten a whole bunch of interviews done in the past week, so why sit on them, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's excellent. Now, uh, let's, for my listeners, they're going to be SMEs usually, and mm-hmm. they are ready to transition. And for those of you that aren't familiar with the term SME, especially if you are uh, have a different language, it's subject matter expert. So that's what it translates to, subject matter expert. And those people that have been doing a certain industry for so long, they build a lot of information in their brains and they need to get rid of this thing somehow. <laughs> and there's people that'll pay for it. So uh, that's what we're talking about when we say SMEs, those people who they have been in this company or in this business or doing this job forever. And now they are in a position where they could share it with someone else, get that information out. It becomes a course and people make straight off cash <laughs> off of this thing. And, uh, and truly, I, I believe that especially now in the COVID-19 era, because I don't believe it's just a, a season. I think it's going to be uh, even even longer than that. Maybe not, you know, this particular disease, but airborne viruses. And mm-hmm. I don't want to be blue, June, doom and gloom, but I know that when people start seeing that they can make extra money somewhere else, they are just going to go ahead and do that too. So uh, I think the... Let's say the unattended consequence, or maybe it wasn't even intended at all, but just an outcome of what we had to end up just going ahead and, and stop dipping our water in this virtual thing and just everybody jumping in. Well, I think mm-hmm. that's here to stay. So a lot of you SMEs yeah. are going to be listening for this. Oh, and another another way to, to term an SME now, you might also hear the term SMS, which is subject matter specialist. And I have hmm. literally no idea why somebody would use SMS versus SME or or vice versa because they yeah. literally mean the same thing. But yeah, different companies, yeah, use a different, sometimes different terms. But those are usually how I hear, hmm. hear the terms thrown around. So now let's say um, you're someone who's got all this information in their brain. They're ready to get it out. Uh, do you even have any like tips that it would take for them to get even noticed by somebody? Oh, what a great question. I think have a sample module ready 
It can be about anything that you consider your area of expertise. And what it does is it shows that not only do you have all that information rattling around in your brain, but you know how to make it accessible to other people to pick up. So you can not only recite it or use it on your job, but you can help teach other people how to use it in their jobs as well. It's it's definitely a skill that it comes naturally to some people. Some people are natural teachers. Some people aren't, but you can always develop the skill to be an instructional designer, whether you're a natural teacher or not, because you're not really teaching the material so much as organizing it in a way that allows other people to learn it. And there is a distinction there. Yeah. It's it's the difference between standing up in front of the class and talking about the material versus just putting it all down on paper in a way that maybe somebody else could train it or that they could learn it online without even having that intermediary person who's quote unquote training um, you know, the the material. So I think the way to get noticed is to study the basics of instructional design. The, um, for instance, the Addy development model. You read which, my mind. I was about to say, give yeah. us the basics. Study the basics. What are we studying here? Yeah. The basics are definitely three things. It's how do you organize your material? How do you develop the learning from that material? And how do you ensure that the learners learn the material? So it's really, you know, it's kind of a start, in process, finish sort of a, a, a process, I guess. There's a flow to it. And Addy is basically step two. Um, step one would be, for the very basics, if we're looking at the foundations of instructional design, step one would be to look at Bloom's taxonomy for learning objectives. Because we can't have learning until we know what the objective of the learning is. And well, hold so on, Bloom, before we go too far, um, analyze, design, develop, implementation, and evaluation, aka Eddie. So if anybody is trying to figure out and doing like a web search for who is this Eddie, <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's what we that's Step two, and that is an acronym. Yeah. Okay. So, so go ahead. Step sorry. one is yeah. Step one, you set those objectives for the learning, and the objectives are literally like okay. So Sheldon, you're you're the safety specialist. Give me a topic um, that you might be developing some training on right now. COVID nineteen. Uh, everybody's wanting COVID nineteen uh, training right now. Sure. Okay. Great. Perfect. So let's just say that a company comes to you and says, Sheldon, you're the occupational safety and health specialist, and we need some information for our team on COVID. I'm assuming one of your first questions is what team, who are they and what are they doing? Because you're going to train people differently who are working on in the drive through counter of a fast food restaurant differently than you would a nurse who's caring for uh, elderly patients at a nursing home yeah. versus people who are working in, say, manufacturing on a machine in a factory, right? Yeah, one have, industry and then one level in the industry. Yeah, so they have totally different needs. So you can't just say, okay, I'll create a training on COVID and then go off and create a training on you know, making sure that you um, sterilize your instruments between patients when you're not talking to an industry person who has patients. They're working on machinery with yeah. nobody else around but themselves, but they still need to sterilize their 
you know, equipment, their factory equipment when they're done, for instance. So first question is, who are the learners and what do we need to have them learn? Basically, what do they need to do with the information about Mm COVID-19? It's not, we don't need to train them about the history of COVID-19 and the biological, um, you know, variations that happened in the virus to make this so pandemic. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, we don't care about the history of COVID-19. We care about what do the people who you're training need to do with the information. So yeah. step one, and that's where um, Bloom's taxonomy comes in because Bloom categorized learning from really, really basic, which is just sort of understanding the concept that you're training all the way up in, I don't even remember, I think it's like six levels of of understanding, all the way up to being able to basically become a trainer of that yourself. Uh So from just, you know, recognizing information about it, the real basic kind of training, all the way up to, I have now learned so much about this topic that I can go and do it myself without further training and every step in between. So Bloom's taxonomy helps you figure out those goals and how to state those goals. Yeah, and to truly when you're when you're thinking of Bloom's taxonomy, you're thinking of instead of saying in your uh, in your objectives, uh, describe what SARS-CoV-2 means, and uh, your next sentence might be uh, understand what. Uh, the the controls of the, all of the COVID nineteen, you kind of have to go beyond describe and understand. After a while, you you have to dig deep mm-hmm. in some of those yeah. objectives so it doesn't get boring. And Bloom's taxonomy taxonomy kind of like uh, it it shows you all these different words in the same sub in the same main category that will kind of liven up your objectives a little bit, and it'll help really visualize for the person who's reading this what they're going to get at the end of this module or the end of this training so that that really helps them understand what to expect when they finish whatever your your teaching module or, or course wise so am i describing that correctly yes although there's actually more Ooh. not only does it help you come up with different ways to state it but bloom's taxonomy has a secret built into it Ooh. and that is that yeah you come up with measurable outcomes by using Bloom's taxonomy. Because let's just say that you had that objective, Sheldon. You want your learner to, quote unquote, understand the uh, disinfecting procedure for this bread slicing machine, Uh Uh, for instance. How do you measure if somebody understands it? You can't. You can't look inside their head and see their brain and see the little wheels in their brain moving and and measure understanding. But what you can measure, and, and it's interesting that you said describe because describe is actually a basic level Bloom's taxonomy approved verb mm-hmm. because you can measure if somebody's describing something accurately. It's testable, it's measurable. So understand is not a Bloom's taxonomy verb, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, Instead, that makes sense. recognize is actually Bloom's taxonomy because again, it allows you to measure Did they accurately recognize the steps to disinfecting their machine? Did they accurately describe the steps to disinfecting disinfecting their machine? Can they recite the steps? These are all permutations of the same thing. And that's where you get that variety in verbs that you mentioned, but also brings in the measurable results. 
You know, I've never thought of it that way, even though I've been using Loom for all the courses I've done, and I've never actually known the secret. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that is awesome. And now that you say uh, well, it, it makes so much you, sense. I think that's only for people who have actually <laughs> taken instructional design college. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're in. Uh, I've got to know. Yeah. Yikes. Yikes. Oh, I'm they're troubled out. Be doo, be doo, be They're coming to get you. <laughs> so, yeah, that is the secret behind Blooms is everything that you use that is Blooms taxonomy approved is measurable, which goes back to my wish number one that we did more measuring in okay. instructional design. Yeah, that's awesome because that truly is because uh, I do it and I've been doing it like I stated as just to make sure I switched the words around a little because I remember I had one uh, one actual um, potential client at the time. They wanted me to, to do some work in the UAE and I was going to go out there and I needed to give him a description of uh, in this point I was going to be a wastewater specialist. This is another one of my SME hats uh, for mm-hmm. for uh, environmental. So I went out there, or at least I was going to go out there, and I was giving them this objective of the course, and I had to truly write it all out to what I was going to do, and the person just said, is there another way we could describe this? We can't have the same words over and over again, and I was like, oh, <laughs> and this is years and years ago, so that's when I discovered taxonomy, because truly someone just challenged me, and I was like, all right, I got to switch this thing up. So since then, my mind has always been thinking that and I didn't know the secret you unlocked something for me there Jennifer yeah I'm so glad to have helped and and the fact that each of the levels of Bloom's taxonomy describes more involvement with the learning and a more robust outcome so describe is like I said the very basic that's level one if you describe something it means you know it's just like if you go to school in high school and you're like so bored by this particular class it's not your thing But at the end of the class, you remember a few things about it. That's like level one of Bloom's taxonomy. Mm -hmm. But that class that you took on purpose because you love it and you actually paid out of your pocket for a course and you like are so absorbed, you're going to have a lot more engagement with that learning and you're going to understand it more and you're going to use it more. And so then you're kind of getting into the higher levels of Bloom's taxonomy where you're applying, you're maybe creating something new based on your learning. That's the top of the pyramid, right? Create. And you have all those words on the create. Yep, you got it. (laughs) Hmm. Wow. Okay. I threw you like way off. Go ahead. Keep going because I am like so into this. Cool. Yeah. So so then there's step two and that's the Addy design process. And there are many design processes. Addy is the most well-known and it's the most well-used because it's the most logical. And as you mentioned, the Addy process stands for, well, here, you go ahead and say it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually I cheated because I had to look that up. Ah! Uh, I will tell you, I am cheating. I'm straight up cheating. Analyze, no design, problem. development, implementation, evaluation. I've used it before. I know it. But every time I'm, I'm asked to say it, I always forget them or I put them in different orders to D's in particular. <laughs> yeah. But it's just, I mean, it's so simple because it's really just describing the flow of how you build learning. Of course, you're going to analyze it first. What You can't evaluate it until you've analyzed it and you can't build it until you've, you know, designed it so it's it's to me Addie like 
is kindergarten stuff that I don't even think about anymore because it's literally just, it just makes logical sense. You you can't uh, build until you've designed and you can't evaluate what you built until you built it. So it's yeah. literally just the flow of how you do your work. <laughs> so bah, whatever, that's no big deal to me. Yeah. Uh, so Blooms is way more important to me as step one than there's how you design the learning. And then step three is actually sort of taking the design and development part of Addy and extrapolating it out into a new process of its own. And that is Gagney's nine events of instruction. And that is how the learner actually walks through learning. Um, how you design the learning itself so that the learner will get the most out of it. Um, so the, the nine events, I, I don't have to like name them all off because it's very very easy to Google. G-A-G-N-E is Gagney. But it's basically taking the Addy module or the Addy um, um, model for developing learning mm -hmm. and telling you what to do during the design and development stage. So it's another model that sort of describes the flow. Yeah. And it's basically you got to start by getting the student's attention letting them know why they're learning and what they're going to gain from the learning, which is the objectives. You want to remind them of prior learning they've had on the subject. Uh, like, even if, if you're hearkening back to some previous training that you've done, like, you remember a month ago, we talked about how to sterilize your equipment after you use it. Well, let's um, build on that a little bit and talk about sterilizing the, um, you know, the your, your hands after you've used your equipment now, now that you know how to do this, yeah. let's do this now. So, so you're, you're reminding sort of them and yeah. then you're, you're adding to their knowledge mm -hmm. with some other aspect of something similar, I guess, to, to what you need them to know. Yeah, which is very important for adult learners and especially in workplace situations when you're doing corporate or occupational learning. Um, you may not have done previous training, but everybody knows something on the job. Even if they're brand new, they've worked there a week, they still can relate what you're talking about to something that they've learned on the job already or something that they've done previously in their life. Yeah. So it's really just making a framework for what we will be talking about in the training and how to relate it to something that they already know about. It could be like saying, um, you know how when you bake a cookie, you have to start with a whole bunch of dry ingredients yeah. and you blend in a bunch of wet ingredients. You know, that, that could be how you actually start the training is by relating whatever you're training to something that everybody's done before. So, so that's um, the third event of Gagney's nine events, which is stimulate recall of prior learning. Yeah. And then you present the content. I mean, that makes sense, of course. Uh, so that's like the bulk of what you're doing is presenting the content. That's step four. Yeah, and absolutely. then you want to provide learner guidance, um, which is helping them translate it to on-the-job performance um, and guiding them in applying the learning. That kind of goes along with the illicit performance, which is step six. Provide feedback where you help them understand what they may or may not be understanding. <laughs> so, or tell them what they don't you know. know. <laughs> yeah, like if, if you've trained something for a day and then at the end of the day, somebody raises their hand and they're like, let's go back to what we talked about before lunch. I got lost and that kind of affected the rest of my learning. Um, then you can help them pick up that knowledge that they may have missed and reframe the rest of the day's training now with that new knowledge. That sounds really good. And then really you assess good. the performance. 
So maybe they take a test. You can assess performance by giving them an assessment of how well they learned. And if they get 80% or better on their test at the end of the day, um, then you know that they have reached a certain level of, of proficiency. comprehension. Mm-hmm, proficiency, right. Yeah. And then the ninth event is super important. It's enhance retention and transfer to the job. And that is like techie, industrial, or instructional design speak for giving them something that will help them remember what they learned today and how to use it. So it could be what we call in the industry a job aid, which could be like a PDF or a printout that gives them the steps of the the instructions that you gave them. Yeah. Like you know, if you're training them on the proper use of a machine, you give them a handout that shows, you know, steps one through 10 of running the machine, or you give them a checklist. Don't forget to do these things prior to taking off on the plane. You know, you get your pre-flight checklist. Um, Along with that, you remind them how to apply the learning to what they need it most for, which is their job. So the learning might be more theoretical, at the end of the day, they need to know how to apply it to their work, and that's also part of the ninth event of instruction for Gagney. So, nice. So and would it. you do something like? Or would you do something like, um, like giving them steps of the job in in like different orders, and then they have to go ahead and put it back in the in the logical step, and that proves that they've got the learning, or you don't even want to mess with the brains like that. Oh no, that's a wonderful way to assess performance. That would that would be a fantastic eighth event of the Gagney's nine events um, to assess their performance, assess their learning, basically. Uh, to have them do a rearrangement of the steps so that you know that they know the flow of the process, that's yeah. perfect. Or a, a matching exercise, or you know, a true or false test, or a multiple choice test, or a demonstration. I love when you can actually do in-person demonstrations of what you learned. If I were being trained on a process and then someone watched me do that process and corrected me where I was wrong or where I had misunderstood stuff, I'm going to learn that so much better Mm -hmm. than if I just have it in my head. And then three weeks later, I'm doing the process for the first time and I'm like, oh crap, I don't remember (laughs) what goes where. (laughs) And this is the wrong time to to not remember, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because I'm literally about to run this machine and nobody gave me a job aid. (laughs) I don't have my checklist and nobody walked me through it and now what do I do? Yeah, so at this point, you're like, "Uh uh-oh, I wish I had that checklist. I want that checklist. That's what I want right now. So you just have to remember, as a subject matter expert, you know all this stuff, but the people that you are training, that you're writing this instruction for, they don't know all this stuff. And not, not only that, they don't need to know all that stuff. You have the whole history of your job or your machine or your process in your head, but your learners don't need to know the back history. They need to know what they need to know now and what they need to know next week when they're using it on the job. So that's a huge takeaway too. Excellent. Uh, I know you have uh, probably hit on some of the the special sauce and and some of the things that you do so I don't want to give away too much but uh, (laughs) as these SMEs are listening to this how do they become the instructional designer's favorite SME where they'll say "All right, I want to go with Sheldon because I love the way that he does this when uh, when he delivers a product to me Is is there any such thing? Oh yes thank you for asking 
as an instructional designer who works with a lot of SMEs, I can tell you that if you just hand me a pile of papers and say, it's all in there, <laughs> good luck. I'm not going to like you. <laughs> Deuces. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Here are 18 books and uh, 23 research you know, reports. Um, it's all in there. Just find it and put it together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's not what I'm working with you as an SME for. Um, I What I love in an SME is if they ask questions about who the audience is, what their knowledge level is, like you said before, what do they know coming in, and what do we need them to do differently? Um, and I might be actually telling you that, or you might be telling me that. It, it could be I don't know anything about the topic, and I'm just helping you shape, uh, me as an instructional designer, yeah. helping you as a subject matter expert shape your learning um, through my knowledge of instructional design. Um, or you as a subject matter expert could actually be telling me what is most important, and then I actually build the learning based on you know your knowledge. It can kind of go both ways. Okay. There's a little different flow sometimes. Um, but yeah, if you come to me with, say, a 60-slide PowerPoint presentation, but you take the time to highlight the key issues, the things that they need to know by the end of that training, and then in a different color maybe, and I'm just talking like, you know, on a printout even, mm -hmm. in a different color, highlight the things that would be nice if they knew and knew how to do. And then in a third color, highlight the things that's just background information and they can find it some other place and we don't need to train it. Yeah. That would be the best place to start because then we can start to break down the need to know into what we call, um, well, well, basically... Now I'm, I'm like completely blanking out on what it's called. Must know or need to know or have to know. Or yeah, it's basically like a we can cluster it into uh, chunks, chunks of learning. Huh. Um, if we look at all the nice to knows, we might see that there is a relationship between them, and then we can start to put them together into you know modules that make sense. Yeah, and for some of your SMEs that are listening to this, and they're you know you're showing them the shoe in to get to get in there. What happens when they become hybrid like me and they're actually developing these courses and now they're giving it to a second SME and their job basically is to make it easier, uh, not second excuse me, they're giving it to an instructional designer but it's already going to be halfway done or in my cases I am truly finishing everything handing it over to them with uh, I usually do APA format. I don't know if, if there's a preferred format, uh, but what are you guys looking for when you get uh, one that's been even more developed and now you get it and now you need to put it into uh, some some storyboard? Uh, is there anything else that we need to do? Like you, another tip that might make it a little bit easier for you when you get more complete work? Yeah, um... <laughs> Basically, I need to know what to take out because I can tell you 99 times out of 100, the issue is going to be there's too much stuff in there for the time involved. And there's no way you can literally just cram stuff into students' brains with your hands, unfortunately. Yeah. So something's going to have to go because huh. we can't we can't talk you know, 90 miles an hour 
and cover 50 topics in an hour and expect them to walk away with any meaningful knowledge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they won't, re they'll remember 5% of what we covered. So, you know what? Let's find the best, most important 5% and let's really fully flesh that out and make it the topic of that maybe hour of training. And then, you know, let's take the rest of the stuff and find the next most important 5 or 10% and do another training and then so on and so forth. So if, if you hand me um, 200 slide presentation and say, I want to do a half hour training on this, I'm going to say, all right, bring me, bring me the most important 10 slides. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Wow. <laughs> which, you know, which happens. It really does. Oh my. And so, people don't um, really get that because truly I work in word count for most of my clients. And when they come yeah. to me, um, especially the people that need me to do courses for uh, New York City, they have their um, the Department of Buildings. They have really strict standard and they want to see certain things in their courses. And for me, what I've been a guideline has always been right around the 6,000 word mark for an hour course is, is really like the, the guideline for me. Sometimes it's a little less, sometimes a little bit more depending on uh, what, what else they're going to put in. But Right now, I always Did think about that. Did you just say 6,000 words for an hour? For an hour course is usually what it boils down to. Uh, That's insane. <laughs> no, no offense to anybody, but can you imagine somebody you know, giving 6,000 words of information to you in an hour, which is, okay, let me do my math. That's what, 100 words a minute? See, and I've always thought that. <laughs> And and even words a minute, and you're supposed to retain an hour's worth of that. And the oh ones in God. New York City, their courses are so unique that I have literally put in ten to eleven thousand words in one one-hour course, and I'm like, literally, there's no way you could get this in an hour. But with mm -hmm. me going line by line by line in the outline that the the New York City. The uh, DOB, which is the Department of Buildings, want, and I'm writing this stuff from scratch for these companies, and I'm like, mm -hmm. they want more information than you could fit in an hour, and I deliver this material to people. I can't even fathom giving this kind of information to people that this outline wants me to do in an hour. It's just not possible. Wow. And so, truly, uh, what what are you looking at for for word count for an hour? If you guys think that way, I don't know if you if every. Uh, I've never. I've never encountered that. When you mentioned that earlier in this interview, I, I made a pin in that and I was going to come back and ask you about it. I've literally never heard of a requirement of words per hour for training. And I've worked in a lot of regulatory environments in finance and healthcare. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's, um, it's usually 6,000. I've, I've seen some courses with the 3,000 range, but uh -huh. I would say, and that's that double, right? You know, yeah. 3,000 to 6,000 is doubled, but I've seen where it's been 6,000 to 3,000, even with my quotes. I give my quotes in word count because I've had so many people ask me about word count that I just go ahead and give them quotes in word count. I, I had to write a 100,000 word um, course too. For It was a 30-hour course, 100,000 words. Uh, so, <laughs> so in those cases, they don't care about if people are walking away with measurable knowledge and behavior change. They just care about meeting a regulatory requirement and they can show the script and they can say this regulatory requirement was satisfied. Yes. Unfortunately, that doesn't mean it's going to be, and this is no offense to you or anybody who developed the instruction, just because it's 
6,000 words or 10,000 words or 100,000 words does not mean that it's going to be quality or even moderate quality instruction. It, yeah. it could be, it could be, somebody could work a miracle, but <laughs> I'd say be. that would be, <laughs> yeah, that would be lightning striking yeah. twice. <laughs> and I, and again, I break them up into modules, then I have to do uh, the quest, the quizzes after each module. So uh, I am including quizzes, objectives, summaries uh, in that word count as well. So the, the meat of the lesson, if I was going to take out quizzes, summaries, and objectives, might be right around that um, 3,500 to to maybe maybe 4,500 uh, word count. It's funny when you start writing blogs and you're looking at a regular page and a half blog to um, uh, double space, 12 font, you're probably thinking about 700 words there uh, mm -hmm. with like a nice page and a half blog. So if you're really starting to think of you know 3,000, 6,000 words, then you're looking at uh, same, you know, double spaced uh, New Times Road, uh, New Times Roman, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Times New now. Roman, <laughs> yeah, or something like that. Twelve <laughs> bullet, and then you got yourself double space. Uh, you're thinking that is probably if you're like a three thousand word uh, document, that's going to be about a good five pages under that criteria, and probably a little bit more, depending. But truly. It seems to me for an hour, if you're going to translate that to a student's learning, it might be too much in too much too little time. Am I correct mm -hmm. in thinking that? Oh, I, I would 100% think so. There's there's a process of, of learning. And it's funny because we learn all day long, every day, informally. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, um, let's just say you start a new job as a... Uh, you know, bakery processor, which I, I worked in a bakery factory, a baker factory for like four years from 15 to 19. And oh. I was a slicer and packager. Nice. And, you know, when you're 15 years old and you're running slicing machines and packaging machines, you know, there's a little training involved. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, they train you the first day. They show you how to use the guards and not slice your finger off. <laughs> but, you know, you learn more on the job just over time and, you know, making mistakes and seeing how other people do stuff and having the guy run up to you and go, oh my gosh, don't do that. You're just about to, you know, yeah, catch yeah. your sleeve in the <laughs> machine. You know, I mean, these are all learning events, right? Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, it builds on itself. Nobody sat you down and talked to you for an hour about everything you need to know to work safely in a bakery environment. Yeah. You just, you know, you get the base and then you sort of just learn as you go. Um, and, and learning, if you truly design instruction, if you're doing instructional design, you sort of build that process, that, that growth and that development of your learning. You build it artificially in a specific period of time, such as an hour or a day or a week. Mm -hmm. uh, but you still need to go through that sort of progress. You have to, I mean, if you're, building quality learning you're not just um for instance I, I worked in a job once where they just literally took powerpoints and put next buttons on the slide and called oh, it e-learning um, really and that is not instructional design it's not good quality learning design it is 
it, it, it satisfies a checkbox for somebody somewhere, mm-hmm. which is fine if that's all you need to do. If you literally just need to say, yes, we trained on this topic. Here's the script. Here's the list of the people that took the training. Okay, fine. But I think most of us want to actually affect people more than that. I think more more important is the assessment at the end. If, if you're doing those assessments, I'm curious to see how people do. If the questions are reasonably difficult, that yeah. they accurately gauge if people understood and learned from the training. Is there a minimum passing score that people need to get at the end of your, you know, 6,000 word an hour mm-hmm. training? Yeah, modules? there is. <laughs> and do people reach that? I hope so, because, well, I don't get to see that part, because by then, they, okay. uh, uh, it, when they're returning clients, they'll let me know, you know, this course has been approved or something similar like that. So I get to see that part, but I never really get to see the student end, except one. One was uh, a big company, and they, they gave me a poor so I could uh, get to see some things, but but usually I don't get to see that end. Uh, so it's it's kind of tough. And when I try to, def- well, finish your thought first before I even <laughs> go. Yeah, I was just going to say, if, if that were the case, I would just write the assessment question so easy that people passed like at least 80 or 90% of the time um, without necessarily having absorbed much because, I mean, I hate to say it, but the very cynical part of me says, well, if that's what the company wants, then they want a decent passing rate, uh, and that's how they're going to keep hiring me. So so I would throw all this stuff into an hour. I would make the assessment pretty easy, not so that everyone gets 100%, because then it looks way too easy, but I'd try to, you know, make it so that I know that people who only listened for 15% of the presentation are going to pass at an 80% rate, and I'd throw it at them and say, here you go. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Well, people who are listening, and if you've ever taken any of the uh, OSHA has nine people who are approved to to give their OSHA 10 and 30 online and out of those nine people they have a lot of resellers so you may not even see the original nine but I've worked for four out of the nine as an SME so if you've ever gotten a quiz that said um, that's this is my, my signature quiz I'll make sure that I put at least two to three questions on there that will say all the above and none of the above and that that is wrong so if you've been <laughs> if you've actually done that then you I know it's my quiz right now because that's my go-to too <laughs> oh okay so it's either mine or jennifer's quiz that you just taken <laughs> but i've never done anything for osha so it's got to be yours but that is totally my trick to give a b c d and e and the answer is one of a b or c where d is all of the above and e is none of the above and yep. it's Ninety percent of the time, not going to be all or none. It's Absolutely, be a, B, or C. <laughs> and I know those people that are just looking for all of the above or none of the above, and I do that in every single tw- test that I I do as an SME or a designer, and uh-huh. just to get it. those people because shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> Read my question. It's so funny. And yeah, I, if I ever have an all of the above, I always put in a none of the above so that it's not obvious. Unless, again, in the situation we were just talking about, where it's just a knowledge dump and I just want to make sure people pass, then sure, I'll put in an all of the above. And it's clear that that's the answer. Go ahead and pick it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do that on purpose because I figured it's enough that you, you, you had to go through it. So I understand that. But... 
you don't give up at the question that's the quiz because you're expecting you know a, a nice little softball to go up but stay engaged until you finish my quiz <laughs> right right i like it <laughs> oh good good, good it's thinking. jennifer approved it is. <laughs> All right. Uh, let me give you like a, I know we're, we're like, I don't want to steal your whole night, <laughs> but if I could squeak this one in just personally, because I have a safety consulting course that I do and I designed this thing from scratch and it came from my true life experiences as being a safety consultant and bumping along the way. Uh, and then I decided, well, I wrote a book first and then I decided, well, let me put this to a course. I I could get more detailed in it so i wrote my own course and everything how i deliver it uh, is i give everybody a module they go through the module and it's actually me and i break it up into you know bite-sized pieces i'm doing a video presentation with uh, adobe presenter if you've heard that program mm-hmm. yeah so i use presenter so they can see me they can see my powerpoint when i use them sometimes i don't or I actually go online and we do stuff online and my my end of module instead of doing a quiz per se I give him a challenge to say all right you have to complete this next we just talked about it I showed you where to find it and I start them off from you know filling out the information that they need to literally start their business with their own state so that they can have an LLC or S Corp or whatever and then after that module we're done you go do it and I do that with each module you know here good your EIN number. This is how you get your EIN number and I explain it. I show them where to find it. Homework, go do it. And uh, truly, we, we do that with the whole thing from step to step. Am I doing that right or do I need something else? Yes. No, that is excellent instructional design. As long as you have a mechanism where if they get stuck, they can reach out to you, I would say 100% A++++. <laughs> Alright, because I actually, any of my students have taken the course, I still talk to them. And we I send them emails like, uh, periodically, I say, hey, what's going on? I've had some on my uh, podcast already, just to kind of encourage them. And uh, I'm, I am all in whenever someone takes my course we're doing this together <laughs> so that's wonderful uh, so I, I make sure that if I, I even some people I, I have projects that I can't do either by time or not my wheelhouse so I'll just send it to a student and say hey <laughs> can you do this and if they can then, then they'll do it with no no fee or anything just t- take it <laughs> so wow uh, so you're kind of creating a community of learners and then once they've learned uh, people who you can use as a resource, which is, I think, a really great way to do it, too. All right. I, I, I figured while I got somebody who's instructional designing, I might as well ask you because you're the pro. 20 yeah, years, too. Breaking it down into digestible, actionable learning and then giving them the opportunity to practice it itself is classically perfect instructional design. I couldn't ask for more. If if everybody just took that away from this discussion, that's really all they need to know. That's, right. the, that's the need to have learning from this session. Mic drop. Yep. <laughs> Boom. Mic you drop. You did it. <laughs> all right, Jennifer, give us plug any and everything you want. Just go ahead and go nuts. Plug. 
<laughs> well, my, my big, huge deal right now is something that Sheldon knows very well because he is going to be a guest on my own podcast. Yay. We talked a little bit earlier that I'm starting a podcast and it's actually all about how people can take their innate skills and talents and interests and turn it into their own work, their own purpose-based, passion-based work that finds a niche in the market that people are willing to pay for. Just like you did, Sheldon, where you created uh, an entire business around your knowledge of occupational safety and how to teach it. So Sheldon is actually a guest on my upcoming podcast, and you can find it at vocationcreation.com. I believe very much in building your life the way that you want to live it. And your vocation is such a huge part of that. So vocationcreation.com is my site. And Sheldon, I'll be interviewing you in the next day or two. And I cannot wait for your listeners to be able to hear you on my show as well. Yay, that's going to be awesome. I can't wait. I think we got it set up for midweek, don't we? Yeah, it's coming right up. All right. That'll be awesome. I can't wait. It'll be good. Anything else? Like uh, like if they need to hire you for any work, how do, do they reach you through the same website or is that a different business? Or Oh, no, I, that, that would be fine. If anybody even just wants to reach out and say they, they heard this interview and they have questions about instructional design as a subject matter expert in occupational safety, I am more than happy to help. Just let me know what I can do and I'll answer any questions I have and um, if anybody's interested in podcast development or audio recording or instructional design just let me know and we'll we'll talk about it yeah and if you need anybody for voiceover work Jennifer's your girl <laughs> as long as it's not too much and I don't get bored that's right <laughs> or you're stuck in a room for days oh you got kids right. they won't let they won't be having that <laughs> <laughs> Please no drug encyclopedias. No more. <sighs> yes, that would be mind-numbing. I can only just imagine. And then for you having to, you know, spell all that stuff out for you and say it phonetically, I would imagine you're, that would have been a tough one. Yeah, it took weeks. It took weeks. And then, then I had to split it up word by word. So there were 1,428 files to deliver. And this was far <laughs> be way before like Dropbox and, oh. you know, Google Drive. So it was emailing them basically in batches uh, of 10. I was just waiting for you to say floppy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Burn them onto a, a floppy and mail it to them. them. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were basically on dial up at the time, practically. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, man. Those were the days. I'm glad those were over. <laughs> <laughs> and then AOL, oh, you. you got mail. <laughs> oh my god, my mom still uses AOL. Don't oh, tell anyone. No way. I said so. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> uh oh, <laughs> dated. <laughs> right. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for for coming on, and truly, I appreciate it. I look forward to being on your podcast. Everyone, go ahead and get a hold of Jennifer. She is Vocation Creation. All right. Dot com. Dot com. Dot com. <laughs> Vocationcreation.com. So thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I had a blast. Thank you for having me on and talking about this. Really, really, I didn't even know how interesting subject it is until I started talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it truly is. And everyone listening, they, they really, they are going to love it because many of the people that listen to this show, they are wanting to do what I do as an instructional slash SME. <laughs> so this, this is going to be what they need. That's wonderful. I'm so glad to help. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. All right. Thank you. Take care. You too. Have a great night. All right. You too.
Welcome back to the Safety Consultant Podcast. This week, we talked to Jennifer Wenzel. That was awesome talking to her. It was eye-opening for me as being a SME slash instructional designer. I didn't know that's what I would be called, tell you the truth. <laughs> I really did not know, and uh, she enlightened me. So that was awesome getting that, that information in. Uh, I... Well, before I even go any further, let's do this. If you have not yet, go ahead and like. Can you like podcasts? I really don't know. I think it's just subscribe or not. So go ahead and subscribe to this podcast and uh, put like a like make it so you could get my alerts because I'm truly going to start going into um, doing more of these in a week. So my idea is when I have a long interview like this, I'm going to do part A and part B, which will be one and two. And I'll do that. I'll think Monday and Thursday might be the best days to do this thing on. And then um, I think I'm going to do a mini too. And the mini is going to be right around the 10 minute sweet spot mark. And, uh, and for that uh, time period, uh, that's really what I'm going to be looking to, to deliver some quick values. And I don't know what my minis are going to be on yet, but it's coming. So go ahead and uh, subscribe uh, to this and whatever service you're listening to. Uh, so let's do the tip of the week. So here's the tip of the week. It's going to be uh, where it's completely self-serving. I'll go ahead and say it right now. I am, and it's going to be self-serving for a reason. I truly believe that uh, the new version of my uh, safety consultant blueprint course is going to really help you. Uh, Jennifer really gave me a nice understanding that uh, it, that yes, I'm doing it the right way. So how it's set up is for each aspect of starting your business, we are breaking it down into its essential core elements, and then at the end of the module, you are going to go ahead and have action. You're going to go ahead and do this thing. That's really what it's going to boil down to. So first, if you want to, you could go to safetyconsultantblueprint.com so you could kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about. But safetyconsultantblueprint.com and truly what we're going to do uh, or have been doing in that one is teaching you little by little by little and when I said that little by little by little that's really what I meant just here here's your learning now let's do it here's your next learning now let's do that so for an instructional designer when you're thinking about what an instructional designer needs to be able to do is to make sure that the people that are learning from them are actually doing well understanding the course right so go ahead and, and go ahead and do that because I'm really I'm, I'm kind of excited that this is going to be something that's going to help you so uh Module one, tell you a little bit about it, is just going to be the introduction. You're also going to get the free ebook that's going to go with it. Uh, module two will be get legal. So each thing that we have to do, get your URL for your domain name, choose a name, go get your uh, LLC established, get your IRS number, 
local business permit, your your Duns and Bradstreet number. You got to get that. Get business insurance. I'll show you how to do that, including safety designations, which one, how to choose the right one for you. Uh, that's all going to be in the first uh, module or second module. First module is the introduction. Then the second one is branding. I'll show you how to brand yourself. And uh, we'll truly go step by step on how to brand yourself and market yourself. The next module is all about getting clients and promoting yourself. And then also doing a proposal that that is so key so we're going to show you how to do proposals and i'm going to give you uh some of my proposals too so you can actually see the structure of a proposal going to even teach you how to price your proposals how much are your services worth so that all that's going to be included in that module then training tips so next one will be training and speaking tips so we'll really learn about uh, presentations and how to get those things looking good and delivering them <laughs> so that people will be you know, truly listening and, and, and getting in there. Uh, then we're going to talk about partnership model. You have to do this with other people. You can't do this alone. So if you partner with some really good organizations, they're going to help propel your business instead of you trying to give out cards to every single person and networking meetings and, oh, man, are those mind-numbing. You don't want to do any of that. So we're going to do that together. Then we'll talk about making supplemental income and then truly about how money really matters. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And then I added a module in this new one for COVID-19, including like a roundtable discussion about it, how to survive as a consultant during COVID-19, then OSHA and what they're doing currently. So we go a little bit over that as well. So truly, this new and improved version of the Safety Consultant Blueprint. You can find it at safetyconsultantblueprint.com. And I am going to teach you little by little the business of becoming a safety consultant so it's not so daunting that's the key and then when you're done you're in the fray i don't let you go and hold on to you we do this thing together so it's not just taking a course and one and done we're actually going to go out there and i'm going to help you with i'll keep in touch with you uh we'll also if you need to get help in training with podcasts or anything else even some businesses sometimes i can't do this work i don't have the experience so i need people i could trust to send my clients to and that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna send them to you and then you can provide some of this service to uh clients so uh that's all part of this so truly you can do this i'm with you all right so that is the tip of the week if you are going to be switching from sme to instructional designer or if you're just truly going to stay in the sme realm you know hopefully this interview with jennifer will really help you out because truly it's been just wonderful had a good time and uh hopefully that you guys will also have a good time re-listening to this again uh if you need to all right so that's it for me go get them This episode has been powered by Safety FM.